sometimes you know you miss you just miss the best discussions sometimes and you know, laser backgrounds in the uh well would have been the 80s for you or in the early 90s you know middle school middle school, middle school would have been like the late 80s and early 90s yeah middle, middle school pictures by the way yeah. i started um <laughs> i started reading in 1984 never read it because i was a kind of a bum in school i was like you know like d's get degrees I shouldn't be mm -hmm. admitting this online because I'm in a highly technical industry now where you actually have that to was me and that was me through school too. Like, yeah. <laughs> you have to be somewhat intelligent in our industry, I think, you know, not rocket science, but oh, that's a lie as well, in my opinion. But you know, what are you gonna do? So um Douglas Kamen. Is it Kamen? Kameen. Kameen. You know, I'm like a, I'm like I prob I'm I'm a C student on these as well. I'm again, I'm batting at like 70% of this Kameen, Douglas Kameen. C I T O and C -I -T -O. yes. Okay. So C I I'm just, I'm done today. C I T O please just explain what you do and why you're so important. And uh, I'll let you talk because I have had many cups of coffee and have not, um, have too many meetings in a row before I got to you. And I was late mm -hmm. to this one. I'm, I'm, I'm multiple meetings in today too. It's uh, although I'm on West coast time right now, I'm in San Diego. This is, this is the, the, the hotel I'm staying in at the moment for the nano. I was going to say it looked very. I was going to say it looked very hotel esque. Are you near yes, the ocean? It is. It is very hotel esque. Um, Are you near the ocean? I'm sorry. Are you near the ocean? Yeah. So you can't see it because it's you know the, it's blown out from the the sunlight, but uh, it's on the bay in San Diego. So it's like the Coronado Bay Resort. Um, so it sits on one of the islands that that encloses San Diego Bay. So it's a particularly it's picturesque. There's a bunch of. Uh, if you look off in the distance, uh, when you can see it, uh, there's, you know, the skyline of this downtown San Diego and then like all the Navy yards and stuff. So like you can see these aircraft carriers and big destroyers and stuff like that. I, I'm a surfer. So I, I only care about surfing. Is there surfing there? Are there any waves or anything? I mean, that, I'm sure that there is on the other side, you know, so like I mean, if you go to the other side of the hotel, then there's the, you're, you're at the Pacific. So, mm. You know, so yeah, I'm sure we, there's gonna be people out there surfing. We we need to stereotype all, anyone that's in California and anyone that lives in California as a surfer. Of course, that's just typical, typical, you know, <laughs> stereotypical things that we do on the show. So, grew up. Let's go back in time. I, I oh. love going back in time first, since we were talking about laser backgrounds and you mm -hmm. know the, the right pictures that you have to have in the background when you get a school picture taken. And there's so much going on in the world. The technology is involved in it. It makes such a just such a difference now. I was visiting my father over the weekend. He's 87. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about all the wars and growing up in wars and stuff. And I was just thinking, Dad, how do you know what was going on? Because we're constantly bombarded with all kinds of um all kinds of things now via social media, via every angle, every angle something's coming at you. Absolutely. There's construction going on in my my office right now, by the way. So I'm hope I I have no clue how loud this drilling is and stuff in the background will probably come out really great on this microphone. Zoom, Zoom is blocking it out. I can't hear it. Excellent. So Zoom, you did something. Hooray. Excellent. <laughs> no, they, um, Heck of a I job, like Brownie. I like bashing Zoom, even though I'm a paying customer. I'm a paying customer. I'm allowed to bash you. You're no longer allowed to use us. It's gonna happen. Uh so he's like, Yeah, we listen to the radio. We mm -hmm. listened to the radio. That's how we got all of our updates. I was like, that's crazy. You know, because that was probably like really easy to control propaganda and stuff. And yeah. I'm not saying that there's propaganda. I am actually saying there is propaganda at the same time. But what I'm saying is, is it was only the radio. 
I think yeah. probably went to the movies and there was probably some like short before you saw a movie that was, you know, where we are on the, on the front of this and that and everything, mm-hmm. but that's just, it was radio. So anyways, yeah. uh, back to our, back to our neck of the world. What was your first taste of technology? What got you really excited about? Do you, let's just be nostalgic for a second. Well, I mean, for me, like I, I, I grew up in a family that had, you know, tech people in it from the time I was, uh, you know, so when I was born, my parents worked for IBM, you know, mm. like family of nerds. Yeah, my dad. My dad worked in manufacturing in IBM, and my grandfather was a uh, an engineer. You know, both an electrical and mechanical engineer who who worked at IBM for thirty plus years. So, kind of like, I guess you call it like DNA in some ways. I was routed into technological stuff in the eighties, and I grew up in Austin, Texas. Uh, so it was at the time that was the, the up and coming period of Austin as. <laughs> the hub of things, you know, the 1980s was, you know, there was IBM and Motorola and and 3M and stuff like that. Like, you know, who even hears of these companies anymore? Right? <laughs> 3M. Well, my brother was in like like glue and paper, so mm-hmm. manufacturing of glue and paper. So 3M is like, you know, that's like all you talk about is 3M and mm-hmm. sandpaper and sticky notes. Yeah, sandpaper. Remember when the three the three M like, the sticky note? Like we were around, we were we were alive when the the sticky note was invented. I think. Right. When did yeah, the three M sticky note come out? It's a good. Uh, it's a good it might have been a little before our time, but it was it it became popular certainly in the in the eighties. I think. But if I was thinking about it, I was thinking it became popular in the eighties. But you know, I was like I was like five, so I guess it was maybe it was. I mean, what I'm googling this right now because you have to be a good yeah. Googler. Um, 1977. I was one year old. So I was alive during the time of the 3M sticky note. Not you. Yep. You were not. You were not alive yet. But close enough. Close <laughs> enough. <laughs> close enough. So this show is, believe it or not, about technology. Um, I don't. Well, anyways, keep going. What, so oh. you came from a family of like manufacturers. So you could actually say that someone worked for IBM and was a manufacturer back then, which is kind of interesting now because how much manufacturing goes on in technology? There's a lot. There's um you know whatever silicone and chips and stuff like mm-hmm. that there is a, there is a lot of manufacturing that still happens um i actually wonder what that bell curve looks like but anyways yeah. what so what it, happened like, this would be like oh you know i would call it like old school circuit board manufacturer i remember getting like a tour of my dad's um the the, the factory floor that they worked on at, at ibm in austin you know and you could see like these little circuit boards you know and they'd, they'd have the drills that would drill the circuit boards and stuff but nowadays like the stuff is so it's so small you know it's been it's been miniaturized so much like that that type of stuff doesn't happen anymore like you can't see it in the same way um for the for the the complex stuff you know like that's um so so yeah that was cool i mean i remember like uh we had a ti 99 4a computer to program on i was just talking to somebody about this yesterday here at the conference that i cartridges 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 and I, i i was sent to classes to program logo to like the little logo turtle you could program oh, yeah. around yep yep whereas i just messed around and was like write 90 or 45 times mm-hmm. like 1000 and made it make a bunch of lines across the screen and then you got more advanced and changed colors and did different things and probably yep. the smart kids like you actually did something that was amazing i didn't do something particularly inventive that's for sure <laughs> just made me think of like craziest logo program ever made I wonder what that looks like. I'm mean, gonna. We need to look that up. Everyone, Google logo that does not know what we're talking about and crazy. But hopefully, most people that are listening to the show actually do know what we're talking about. Okay, so you got into programming. Uh, Ti. I had a Ti. That was our first computer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
advertised by um who who was their spokesperson? What's wrong with me? Oh, I don't remember TI spokesperson. Oh, there was. Texas yeah. Instruments, right? Texas yes. Instruments, right? Mm-hmm. Bill Cosby. It was Bill Cosby. Hey, interesting. Bill Co- look up Bill Cosby and Texas Instruments and uh, it will pop up the home computer and had that weird little like voice thing that you used to plug in the side. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Totally, and, totally had that. Yeah. It was basically a glorified Atari. Mm-hmm. It was an Atari with a keyboard. Yeah. But um, we can play games on it. We had a whole set of cartridges with games on it and everything else too. I wish we had never thrown that away. I wish we had never not because now I want to start like a little like museum in my house of old computers and stuff. Um so, anyways, you grew up and you went to high school. What was your high school computer? Oh, I, let's see. When, I remember getting on the internet the first time. So it was in. It was right before high school. <laughs> my 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 dad is like, we need a computer that got this internet thing, and we got an IBM PS one, and it had a twenty four hundred baud modem, and we signed up for America Online. Baud. Yeah. I don't even know if you could, I don't even, you could sign up for America online. Then this was before they sent out the free CD-ROM. CD-ROM oh yeah. Oh, they charged you by the hour at the time. It was so expensive. It was insane how expensive it was. Like you had to meter your time on it, uh, you know, cause they would charge you. It was, it was like, like, I don't know, two ninety five an hour or some, some crazy. It was so such a big deal. I lived in Virginia for a while and the old AOL building is there and everything. And people made so much money selling AOL. It was like, I I've met people in the Washington DC beltway. There was like, so how'd you make all your money? Oh, AOL. That is it. I've, I've known people who are AOL like millionaires too. Like it's crazy. Yeah. They're like, oh, I worked at AOL in like 1997. <laughs> totally done now. It was like a totally yeah. washed up thing. It's still right. I, I imagine this like smoking, like dusty server in the background. My dad's email is still Cap Angel at I should I really advertise Cap Angel at AOL? Okay. Everyone send my dad an email. <laughs> <laughs> If my show becomes yep. this popular, I'll figure I'll help the I'll help the he's not he can't log into it anymore anyway. So everyone, if you want to flood capangel at AOL.com, maybe we could sell that now that we've advertised it. Uh, but I imagine this old like old spider web, you know, server, probably who knows? It's gotta be what's running AOL now? It's a good question. Let's find the AOL guy. I think it's all just a bunch of websites. Like the deal with the deal with a, a company like AOL was that <laughs> once everybody moved to cable modems, there was still this whole group of people that were willing to pay you like twenty bucks a month for dial-up, which sounds insane, but like like they didn't unsubscribe. So the business became this thing you could ride. Like somebody would buy it and just ride it down, you know, to to the end. Um, but it, <laughs> it made money because all the all the investment was already done. Like you know, there's no new modem technology, so you already own it. You're done. There's, I just, it's a, it's a good statistic. How many people still have active AOL domain email addresses? There's just got to be so many. Mm-hmm. Um, someone's running that. That's pointing that some MX record somewhere doing something. I, I have no clue how that works. Probably sounding dumb right now. Um, excellent. So yeah, how, how did I, I mean, I came, so yeah, it was kind of like ordained that I became uh, a technologist you know through from childhood up it was just kind of assumed that you know oh doug's good at computers he'll do computer stuff um you know i went to college to be uh you know to do especially <laughs> computer program i got a computer science degree from binghamton university so you're uh, not like you're not like screaming inside like i always wanted to be a fireman but i'm nope. forced to, okay see like in my family it was all doctors it's all medical yeah. i left i it was a dying breed i just it can't be it can't go on forever and to be a doctor it's so much work and i'm not mm-hmm. saying that 
I'm not saying that what you do isn't as much work, but it probably isn't. Let's be honest. Being a doctor is insane. How many oh, years? Yeah. When did you get out of college? Oh, I I've I did a bachelor's degree and that was it. So I have four years. Oh. I, have, I have a couple of associate's degrees too. So I have a couple extra years of like being in school, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, like I didn't have to go for a you know PhD and then a residency and all the other stuff that a doctor has to go through. Yeah, it's insane. Mm-hmm. So somewhere along the line, you you so you so. Uh, Doug's gonna be the computer guy. So you, so you went and you did the computer stuff. And when you got out of college, what was your first job? My first, so my first job in the field um, was was I was working for a company that um, a couple of companies who I, I worked part time for in college, and I, I would help them out with some of their computer stuff. So you know they had an IT person, and they'd be like, "Hey, you know maybe you could help me do some things and things." So like that. common, yes, yes, yeah. Uh-huh. So I would, you know, I would help out fixing, you know, fixing stuff or doing updates. I remember uh, um, one of them was right around 2000. So like I, I helped him do the updates for Y2K stuff on computers <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, Y2K. And, that, yeah. that was like a proven, if there's any proven um, conspiracy theory, it's Y2K. There's this big conspiracy around Y2K and that the world's going to come to an end and all this type of stuff. And no, it wasn't. It was a farce. Although if we hadn't done all the things we did to prep to prep for Y2K, do you think something would have happened? I feel like there was definitely some things that would happen. You know, like, like I mean, I, bank I, ledgers, bank ledgers yeah, getting screwed up yeah, or absolutely. something. I mean, I, I, like right before that, I was in, you know, my, I started to get my degree in the late 90s. And my first um, my first classes were in in COBOL. So like I learned how to program COBOL first. <laughs> mm. uh, you know, so that's like financial account, or fin- you know, the the programming language of financial systems, if you will. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, there was definitely Y two K issues there. Like, if if it hadn't been corrected over time, it would have uh, it would have definitely caused some problems in we, there. We're on year zero, yeah, year zero, year one. Yeah, but I mean, uh, wait, like, you know, all the it, it's. I think it spiraled out to where there was a lot of things that people were like, "We have to correct this," but it ultimately may not have all really resulted in a problem if it wasn't corrected. It just, it just mm-hmm. kind of got done. But, but yeah, I think there was certainly some some things that would have been problematic if they weren't corrected. Fun, just so much fun. So you know, it's like it's like one of those things that we get credit for not driving off the cliff, right? You know, like <laughs> yeah, there's well. I immediately think security every time someone says something like that, like, you know, the most unforgiving, the most unforgiving position in the company, right? Nothing happened today. Next day, nothing happened today. No Mm -hmm. one stood up. No one said, where's the security guy? Congratulations. Standing ovation. Nothing happened today. Then, hey, we got hacked. Uh, You're fired. Where's the next guy? Where's Mm -hmm. the next guy? Um, So many security guys probably just get so mad when i say stuff like that but you do have cybersecurity as a bullet point on your on your things that you do mm-hmm. there's this is a this is an it leadership show believe it or not and we're we're going to start breaking this up into different what we what we what i want to start doing is the visionary of this person that started this whole madness and we, we do have other hosts and everything is we want to start doing some it spotlights mm-hmm. so i just want your advice for a second Mm-hmm. If we were to do IT spotlights on various different levels of leadership, we could do, you know, how to manage your help desk and, and how to deal with, I don't know, just impossible end users, or how do you train all different, if you've got all these different end users, how do you train them? It could be uh, the IT security spotlight, um, 
governance and, and other things. You know, there's all kinds of things. What are what is something that you've learned over time in IT from a leadership standpoint? What is something that you do that is very unique to you that you would say this should be in my book? Hmm. In my book, man. You know, it's like every now and then there's things that people do that are like. I don't know. It's like for me, it's like I don't know talking, and uh, I'm just a good talker. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna teach people how to talk and how to do this because back in the day, I was walked through high school with my head down and was scared of my own shadow, and and I would never in the life of me ever think that I would do some I don't know talk show or or radio show or something like that, right? So it would be how do you I don't know talk to end users or how do you give a how do you you know there's got to be something that that you do that is unique. And I would say when you're speaking to a group of people, public speaking, you know, from IT leadership standpoint, when you're, when you're public speaking, there's nothing to be afraid of because you should put all the fear on them. Make everyone in the audience be afraid that you're going to call on them. This is just like one of the best techniques, right? Like you get up there and immediately ask, okay, who in the audience knows what an IP address is? And if no one puts their hand up, I am going to call that randomly on anyone in this audience right now. You know, and then all of a sudden people are like, oh, uh, start looking the other way or something like that. So now all of a sudden you're in control. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to ask you what an IP address is. I'm going to ask you all about who clicked on what phishing email. Anyways, what would be in your book or what do you do that's very helpful that you would say, Hey, you're coaching someone underneath you. Mm -hmm. This is it. Yeah. I, for me, I think that the, the biggest thing that I do, and maybe I'll split that and the answer into a couple of different like segments, but like, I think about the work that I do with staff in general. So, so like, how do you, how do you interface with and reach out to and connect with your staff and stuff like that? And so many people just aren't, Quite frankly, they aren't they aren't that friendly, you know. Like we have this like reputation in IT, <laughs> you know? like no, you can't do that. Don't click on that. Don't do these things. Don't do this, you know. And 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 not panicking like that. Now, is... when you say staff, when you say staff, that that can mean a lot of things to other people. Is that end sure. users? And but we don't mean to call them end losers or numbers on a screen or anything. Is customers always customer? It's customer. Our customers. When you say staff, do you mean IT staff or do you mean, or do you mean I mean the staff the of the company in general? So like okay. like my my coworkers in the organization that I'm working with. So like coworkers. You know, there we go. I'm responsible for being the leader. The, the the technological leader for them you know and and this so like like the biggest thing that i do it, it, this is probably the very singular biggest thing that i do is don't panic and that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and that's sort of like my mo in the organization <laughs> that i'm at is i don't you know i'd make it a, a point to not freak out you know to not panic to not look like i'm panicking if something if something bad happens, the worst thing that you can do is like look like you're the one who's the crazy one. Like, oh my god! Like, oh 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 crap! This this thing went went sideways. Um, and <laughs> that's you know, so, good. It's really good advice, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's, well, nobody wants. I'm to laughing fire. because nobody of myself. Like, yeah, that's a huge fire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because I just think of my life as a father. Just mm -hmm. as a father of numerous children, and I was the guy that was never going to have children. And you're like, you know, don't panic. But when you've been a father for so long, sometimes I think you kind of give up on the old. When you're first kids, you're like, you know, really, I don't know, methodical about things yeah. and think things out and goal planning and goal setting. But um, I ended up having eight kids, of which I never thought I would ever do. And, you know, by the time you get 
just older and you've had numerous kids, I think the, the, the don't panic number, the don't panic is a, it makes sense from just so many. It, it's, I would say to my daughter, cause I'm a grandfather now too. So if my daughter like came with their kid, a big, massive bulb on their head, or like you fell and hit their head or something, but don't panic. Don't worry. Uh, that one's an ice pack, Uh big cut. Uh, that one, it's not a panic, but it's definitely six stitches uh, go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know I mean? no, so anyways don't panic okay but please please uh, go more in depth on, on on that sure yeah so i mean like i end up you know interfacing with and talking with with you know coworkers and groups of coworkers and staff and other times you know at all sorts of different intervals so like when they ask me what's going on I, you know they want they want you to share and be like the the in a lot of ways the rock of the organization in, yes. in the realm of cybersecurity and in the realm of like making sure that things are protected, you know, people don't like a panicky looking or a, like, you, you know, you don't have it under control, if you will. And, and it doesn't no, matter, especially in the medical field too. Oh. Like if you go in, you don't want to be like, Oh my gosh, I'm dead. I'm, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> and when I say you like, you don't, you don't have yeah. to have it under control. It doesn't mean that you have to control every single piece of, the, of what's going on. But you certainly have to have a handle of an understanding of like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you, you exude know, confidence, yeah. exude confidence, yeah. and you know it, mm -hmm. you've, you've got the knowledge base. And if there's anyone that should be in charge of this particular issue, it should be you because you're the one that's best mm -hmm. fit for this thing. But yeah. and, and, uh, giving, and giving that advice in giving or training my own staff, my, well, in the, this staff, I should say my own team. So, uh, training my own team on how to do that and that that's an important part of what we do you know we're we're, we're on one hand we're, we're process consultants we're not just here to help and react or help you know for the the it staff and the it desk and everything else but we're also um we're we're part of the group that's that people look to to be reliable so if we can put those two things together we gain a ton of trust and then that leads to a situation where you get a ton of slack. You know, I was a county CIO for for almost ten years, uh, a couple of different counties in upstate New York. And uh, one of the things, so when I first started at the, my first round at the first county I was at, um, the the sheriff's office didn't trust us. You know, as a as a department, they were they, so a call would come or something would go wrong on the computer network. Yeah, and then the sheriff's like the secretary of the sheriff would call my department and be like. The, the the sheriff has requested that you send uh an update on the time to status restoration and he would like hourly updates on it as well you know you know so like you know i would get these like declarative statements about what i'm going to be doing if you will um yeah so he basically thinks that you guys are a bunch of dudes like you know goofing off in a server mm -hmm. closet somewhere like yep. playing video games or you know yeah. whatever it is and like yeah the typical so, never seen, don't know who you are, no mm -hmm. clue, just IT's a a one eight hundred number, whatever. Yep, it did, did have faith that the right people were working on the job at any particular given point in time. So, you know, would try to insert himself into the into the problem to solve it. You know, thinking that like mm -hmm. if I just uh, you know write him, you know, because you think about in this particular case, you can think about a sheriff's office as a very hierarchical, you know, a police department is, you know, hierarchically organized. So there's <laughs> a lot of like, like, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do and you're going to listen to this thing, you know? Oh, and, I have a lot of cop stories and I have a lot of yeah. friends that are cops. 
Yeah, I have a lot so, of friends that are cops and I have friends that the cops arrested too. And in jujitsu, like because I do jujitsu or I practice jujitsu, whatever you want to say. Like jujitsu is like three types of people. It's like middle-aged guys that are going through a midlife crisis that want to get in shape and be like, you know, maybe I could one day like be in the UFC. Then the rest are cops and guys that got out of jail. <laughs> so it's basically like you're in there with cops, middle-aged guys, and guys got out of jail. So, well, then there's a bunch of just, you know, nowadays, you know, everyone knows, everyone that's been in jujitsu knows there's cops in the class and there's like ex-cons in the class and they all get along well and it's great, but keep going. Oh, yeah. So, well, so yeah, that, that, uh, so the hierarchy, I guess my point is like, yes, when I talk with them, they're like, oh, there's absolutely a hierarchy. And I'm like, well, you got to mm-hmm. change the system, man. You got to, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Cause once you move up, you're back at the bottom. Like mm-hmm. what? Yeah, once you move into the next tier in the police department, you're back at the bottom again. You got to build yourself up to the next top. You know, so I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Anyways, yeah. So you know, we've got the this this you know the sheriff is calling, and it's because he doesn't have faith that we're doing the right things when something goes right. wrong. I'm talking about like major stuff. It's not like you know, hey, the whole network's down. I mean, like they can't access like a, a file server that they want to, and they're like, you know, next thing you know, I'm getting calls from the secretary. So, um, you know, that it, this took time, but. Over time, we you know we built um, you know the rapport with with that department with the, with the staff where where you know there's good communication there's good. You so know, what'd you do? So what'd you do? When you say what? what is you, that, well, or is it? Can we make up a name for the sheriff? Like I don't know, McCracken, something like that. So like, how do you? Uh, <laughs> how did we? Uh, how do we build the rapport with you know like uh, I don't know whatever? How, how do we build the rapport with them? How do you build that relationship up? What'd you do? So, so uh, some of it was just showing up, being there. Um, you know, I'll show up myself when it comes to, if that's what it takes, you know, I mean, even though I'm the CIO of the operation and their staff will do this stuff, it oftentimes is useful for you as an executive to show up and be present when, mm-hmm. when something else is going on, you know? And so, so I built rapport and I built uh, an understanding that I understood with him you know, and with other staff. So, you know, I was there almost eight years in that position. And from the beginning to the end was a very dramatic difference. I mean, like, by the end of the time I I was there, we had one time, I remember it was about a year before I left, um, we had uh, uh, fiber optic lines uh, of our own on on power, you know, uh, utility poles connecting some of our buildings together. And uh, a car quite literally struck a utility pole and cut it in half and and it cut our fiber. Uh, so that cut their building off from our building. And, uh, you know, so their internet's offline and other stuff like that. And other than calling in to let us know that it wasn't working, like, like at that point, they had enough faith and confidence that what we were doing was was keeping up with it. And I had established, you know, back, reverse communication back, you know, here's a notice about what's going on. Here's what, you know, I will let Proactive you know. Proactive management. Yeah. Like, Proactive alerts. Yes. So- Sudden, like the 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 pressure was relieved, and you know, so going back to where I kind of started with this, we 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 got to a point where because the trust and the rapport was built, we were given a ton of slack to be able to operate and get things done, and and there was trust. There, you know, like you could go ask to be like, oh, you know, things are down. We to let them know. They told us they're on it. I have faith and I have confidence that they're working on it. So you know, we were, we were then given the room to operate without having somebody necessarily breathing down your neck all the time. Hey, you know, what's going on? Hey, is this fixed yet? How much longer do you think it's going to be, you know, and stuff like that. And, and that, that's, 
that takes a long time to build that type of uh, of, of system with a group, and it takes a long time. It takes a long time if it's broken to begin with, and and it but it requires a lot of intentionality. It requires a lot of um, uh, of good you know, good interaction. And, you know, like getting back to the things I mentioned before, like you can't show up and be panicky. You can't show up and, you, you know, you have to, you have to be confident, but not overconfident. You know, it's not, it's not enough to just show up and be like, well, I got this, like, like, you know, step aside, let daddy drive type of deal. <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, like, like you said, like, don't be like, don't be a jerk or, or whatever it is. Right. Like, don't, it's interesting because people respond in kind. Mm -hmm. And as, like the IT technology leadership people, we need to learn to not respond in kind. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like we have to like stop ourselves and realize that we can't meet their frustration with frustration. 100%. Right. We actually have to just kind of like, like, I don't know. Um, yeah. De You're de-escalating my, you know, so yeah. in, like, that's a, that's one of the other like key things that I teach my teams too about de-escalating. I like that. I like how your terms into something. So like, if I get a call or if I see a call, like our, let's say our team gets a call, oh, this thing is, is, you know, big problems over here, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, you know, like, in, like in the movie office space, you know, big problems in accounting, a lot of money missing. Uh, <laughs> the deal, first step that I always say to folks is like, we're going to take away the crisis. So if, if you've got a problem right now, I want to figure out what's the what's the thing that's going to drive the that's driving the immediate crisis. How do we solve that, or at least create a path that gets you out of your crisis for now? That then gives us the space to think about and fix your problems without making decisions under duress. You know, so how how can we stop? Take a beat. Maybe we can get you something that works. Maybe it's not the permanent fix. But what we don't want to do is start like throwing stuff at the wall to solve your problems and solve your solve your things because everybody's just like, oh my God, like the like Jane's not working. <laughs> you know, get, yeah. I Jane that get her a new computer. <laughs> yeah, you you do have to be able to de-escalate that and calm people down. And it th there is a yes. I don't know if there's like a, it's it's not like it's like a, a crazy special, like end user whisperer skill or anything like that. Like you said, you just have to not match their freaking out. You have to not panic and not freak out yourself. Great advice. You mentioned, okay, so that, that's like number one. I would say that that's almost like a prerequisite to any type of IT leadership role nowadays. Like that's like a prerequisite. Like if you're a freak out, if you're a freak outer, um, you're not ready for this role. The, however, something that is a big differentiator from the average IT leader in the top IT leader, which is the whole point of the show, is something that you said, um, which I I loved that this is almost like a top down thing. I, I, I imagine you teach your people this to be process consultants. Normally, we think of oh no, that's just for, that's just reserved for me. No, if you teach all of your people to be process consultants, help desk people, everyone, uh, I just, I love that term. Um, and I think process consultants means when I hear process consultant, I hear better efficiency, cost savings, potentially making more money. Well, if you're in a government sector or nonprofit sector, it's just 
opening up more money on the budget to spend somewhere else so we don't lose it the next year. Um, you know, I don't talk to me about how you just some some of the th- ways that you teach and, and look at things that that maybe there's something other people haven't thought of. Mm-hmm. Process consultant alone is enough. That is enough for anyone listening to this show. If you just start saying, "Hey, we're process consultants. We're not the IT guys. We're process consultants." Okay, stop it. We're mm-hmm. the consultants. We talk to the engineers so the people don't have to, or whatever that line was. You know, uh, we're process consultants. Dang it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so go talk to me about that. Yeah. So uh, this process consulting and, and the idea of process consulting, it's, it, you know, you can call it a handful of different things, but it's the idea, the mindset that we're not just reacting to what happens in IT anymore, you know, and, and that's for me, like when I come into an organization, that's, that's literally the first thing that I talk to staff, my team about, I should say, in those, in those types of situations is like, we want to move away from being a reactionary group that is brought in at, after the fact. And that happens a lot in IT. You know, the, the IT team is brought up as the responders, you know, so the bus, if you will, is driven by other members of the organization. You know, the finance team decides that they've needed a new uh, finance package and they kind of come to you later and they're like, hey, well, we we did all the valuation work and we figured it out here, you know, and, and this is so this is what we need you to install. We're going <laughs> SAP. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> Getting getting a seat at that table it can be, it can be a challenge um, because it takes it takes a good skill set to get um, you know to get the time with those folks and, and and approach them and interface them with with uh, those people in those other roles you know the HRs the finances and your your lines of business and stuff like that as peers and that I, your IT is not just you know nowadays like IT is always a peer in an organization. So from so I talk about business process consulting and I talk about the team IT should be asking people what it is you're trying to do. So if we get a ticket, you know, that says, hey, I need, I need um, you know, I'll use a very simple example, I guess, but like Adobe Acrobat. And you're like, why? <laughs> you know, like, and I, you know, I ask that and almost like the, the way I, I need sound- to make a I need to make a quote card for this podcast. Oh, it's a uh, Canva free go. Absolutely. So, you know, it's funny. I just got asked about Canva today. Um, uh, The the idea here is that, like, we should understand what it is you're trying to do, not just answer what you've asked us to do. And and if you have trust in, in your team, or sorry, the staff has faith in your team, they'll understand that when you make that approach, it's not so we can get to, like, a no. It's not so we can control what's going on or anything else like that. It's so that people can help. And the the other thing about business process consulting and IT is that the answer is not always technology. You know, so I've run into so many situations where they're like, oh, we need to do this. And I I think what we should do is have have this tool that automates this and it plugs into this API and it does this thing. And I'm like, why isn't somebody just sending an email for this? You know, like, <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, there's there's different levels of like when it's appropriate to do something but like you can automate the there's a there's a ton of people who who get confused if you will about the idea that technology is the solution to the problem but really the people are the solution to the problem and technology only enables that solution so if we're going to to answer the question of like why you want to do it part of one of the answers is always potentially like this technology or this thing isn't really the solution. It's a process that you need to do. And that's where we get back to process consulting. 
So, you know, we're, 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 our role, if you will, is to simply move people along in understanding how to get things done, whether it involves technology or whether the answer is that particular thing doesn't really need a technology solution to get it done. This led me to a, what I think is kind of a hard question, which I don't know if I've ever asked. The topic comes up a lot, but I don't know if I've ever asked it. And that is, how do you deal with not knowing? How do you deal with not knowing what the correct solution is, but you know there definitely is a solution. There's definitely a, a solution to this process. And the only reason why I say that is because I'm dealing with it right now in various different moving parts of of um there's definitely just moving parts of the podcast right now so we've got like a ton of content we've got all this content out there and at the beginning it was just like a podcast and we're like okay you record it it's kind of like you didn't think about security when the internet was first invented it just it kind of became like a thing that needed to happen later on like no one cared about security like when we had AOL or when 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 Microsoft first started doing email you could look up uh, you had a global email address book everyone could look up everyone's email address um I mean, it's like I, I, we, I, we have stories of guys on the show that found their wives because they were trying to find someone that they went to high school with back in the day when they were in college and in a different part of the world or whatever. So they looked them up in the global, in the global like Microsoft email address book back in the, that would never happen now. You can't look up someone's email. It's just, you know, now it's like spam and like, no, that's like all, it just would never happen. So now we're at that point in the show where it's like, okay, we've got all these shows. We never really thought we'd record this many shows. We never have this much data. How do we index all of this? I just don't know the answer to that. We're thinking like, oh, AI, pull this, do that. Maybe look at this, talk to this consultant, talk. I just don't know. Yeah. So like, that's just like a process thing. That's like, how do you deal with, do you have any process to, for the process of not knowing the process? That's, that's a, I mean, that is a real challenge. Like, and there's a, there's a bias that you're, we're all going to have because <clears throat> like in your case, you know, you've, you work with the, these AI tools and other stuff like that. So like you've got, you're holding the AI hammer. And all of a sudden, everything looks like the AI nail. <laughs> oh, love it. And, and that's a big yeah. problem. Like, I encounter that all the time with You're folks. like the metaphor guy. I'm like the headline guy, but you're like the metaphor guy. Next time I need some metaphors, I'm coming to you. Uh, Meta AI hammer. Everything is an AI nail. That is so much of everything, isn't it? Like, you ever talk with the data guy, like the data scientist guy, where it's like, everything yeah. is like, you know, it's just like, no, no, no. Cognitive biases are, are Python. Everything's Python. How we all that's that's the idea behind uh, a lot of like the 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 new like you know the more recent like work on like inclusion work and stuff like that about understanding like how how our biases work and stuff like that. But those biases have always worked, and we've talked about them in other places too. You know, your if you you, you know if your HR team is is in charge of figuring out your your you know your workforce management solutions they're going to pick ones their, their bias is likely to, to skew towards what they need and what their team you know what's good for their team and not necessarily what what the workforce folks might actually need um so you know to go back to your question there about how do you find stuff that how do you find information when you don't really know the answers it's like the unknown unknowns um i mean it's it's so it's so tough i don't know that i have this deep like like informative answer other than than i just find people and other folks to talk to and start bouncing things off of folks you know this is where being outgoing and being like collaborative with folks really helps you know i i can share 
like like uh, in, in even at the place that I'm at now, we're we're embarking on um, the this, the organization I'm with now is is hit at an inflection point where it's growing from being a smaller business to being a you know a, a midsize enterprise, and um, uh, you know we're like 500 staff and continuing to grow and stuff like that. And the systems that we had before that were they they might have worked when we were you know 150 200 people, but now that we're five 600 people and and potentially growing larger those systems don't work anymore. <laughs> and the internal folks struggle, the folks who have been there for a long time, they recognize that they don't, there's things that they don't know. So where do we bring in the people from the outside? And even me, like, you know, I've worked at mid-sized organizations. So then I bring in a slice of information and knowledge that I can help. But then I know that there's going to be gaps that I have. So like we've, some of my colleagues who also were relatively new to the organization, they, they, you know, they brought together their people and you know we found a great group of of outside consultants who have specialization in this type of work so like we're working to be honest with right now we're working on like enterprise architecture work trying to build a you know a corporate wide enterprise architecture for our organization to work and operate against in order to facilitate the next stages of our growth and to bring out the efficiencies and what's going on but like i didn't know that stuff when i came in if you yes, were like i think admitting the bias and removing the bias and bringing in someone that's i don't know complete opposite of you i don't know having different people that you trust to um yes be i don't know agnostic or neutral or whatever you want to call that term um there's a good book called rocket fuel i don't know if you ever read it it's just kind of like making sure that you have like every visionary has like a has like a an integrator so every visionary has like this this crazy person's got all these visions and all these ideas going on all the time but there's an integrator that's like no no, no. you get like stop you're gonna focus on this one thing we're gonna help you integrate we're gonna put the systems and processes in place you know what i mean there's got to be that almost that like complete opposite of you steve jobs that, had yeah they all did they all did yeah yeah uh yeah bill gates they, they all they've all got you know that kind of like I don't know, the person behind the curtain type of thing, you know what I mean? But wants to be right there working to to make it great. And, you know, and that's that's a big part of like where IT always is, you know, and, and that's so so talking about this whole process and where you end up learning, how do you know, how do I how do I find those things? But the, one of the first things to do is to know, first of all, know that I probably have gaps and then know that in in this position, one of the conundrums of the position is that you're hired for your knowledge and your your ability to figure things out and understand stuff, but you don't know all things. You know, it's not possible to know all things. So how is it that you, you, you or sorry, not how is it, you have to think hard about like, I have to leave that behind and I have to be vulnerable enough to say like, I'm going to have gaps here. These are the gaps that I have. We're going to need to bring in some folks to, to look at this stuff. Doesn't mean that I'm not capable of doing this job well, um, because bringing in the right people or, or you know, pulling people together is a part of the job too, and that's what I'm going to excel at. Yes, totally. It has been an absolute pleasure talking with you, and and I have three high. I mean, process. First of all, process consultation, teaching our people to be process consultants is is just outstanding. I just I love referring to our our IT people as process consultants. Just amazing. Uh, not freaking out. I have that as a bullet point. Don't panic. Don't freak out. De-escalate the problem. And then, um, I mean, I just, how can you not love um, the AI hammer? <laughs> AI hammer. And make sure you have laser beams behind all your pictures. It would pulsate and glow. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The, 
Um, any final words of wisdom to any IT leaders out there, people listening to the show, future IT leaders? I think that the the biggest thing in IT nowadays is that you have to be integrated and be a part of the rest of the business. If you want to be a leader, you have to be willing to engage. You can't, you know, you can't kind of hang back and, and just do your thing. It's really critical to be seen as a peer and to know that you are a peer. You know, that's that's uh, you know, there's there's the part where you you know your perception of yourself and the perception that others have of you. But people generally see their IT folks as being very smart people. The the gap is a lot of that I've seen is they don't think that they understand what they're doing. You know, so like they, you know, you know tech and I know finance, but you don't know the intersection between the two. But chances are most good IT leaders know the two and can can learn up very quickly. That's why you're in IT. So leaning into that is really helpful uh, to get that seat at the table and to move up in those organizations and move up to be a part of uh, you know part of the 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 real like the leadership that goes on in the organization because that's where IT sits nowadays. Like no organization, there are very few organizations, anyways, out there that IT does not sit at the probably one of the critical nexus points. Uh, of the function of the organization, you know, without it, the organization just doesn't happen. Yes, there are very few businesses, and we wouldn't know them, anyways. We wouldn't know them if they didn't exist without some cord plugging something in or some internet thing. Uh, lean in, uh, bridge the gap between uh, between IT and all of the other all of the other parts of the company that would not survive without IT, anyways. Doug, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, just just great. Thank you. I appreciate the uh, appreciate the invite.